Greetings, and welcome to At Home with Economics. I'm your host, Bo Garcia, Dean of Community Education and Workforce Development at Lansing Community College. At Home with Economics is a space where we explore business, workforce, and community development initiatives and how they impact our daily lives. Today, we'll be interviewing my colleague and friend, Lee Gardner, Director of the Job Training Center at Lansing Community College. Welcome, Lee, and thank you for being with us today. Thanks for having me, Bo. Well, Lee, before we get started, Lee's a graduate of Holt High School, grew up here locally. He's an LCC alum, spending his first two years after high school at LCC prior to transferring to Michigan State, where he picked up a BA in English education and later an MA in composition and rhetoric from Central Michigan University. He has over 10 years experience teaching composition and business communication as a faculty member at various community colleges and universities in Michigan, including Delta College, Central Michigan University, and Ferris State University. And prior to coming to LCC, Lee spent the last seven years with Dark Container Corporation in Mason, Michigan in the account management, sales, and training and development areas. He has been with LCC for a year and a half as director of the Job Training Center. Again, welcome, Lee. And as we begin, Lee, let's start with, first of all, what is the Job Training Center? The Job Training Center, Bo, is a a new department here at LCC. We're focused specifically on helping folks in our community gain skills for meaningful employment. We offer short-term training programs designed to get our participants prepared for in-demand jobs in our area. These jobs typically don't require any kind of education outside of high school, but they do have necessary skills that we need for success. So the Job Training Center is truly a win-win for the community, both for employers and potential employees. We work with local employers in the area to see what positions and fields are hiring and then create short-term training to get people the skills that are successful for those jobs. So really, we create a bridge between people looking for employment and employers looking for people. What is key to the Job Training Center is that LCC recognizes that not everyone can pay or accommodate the schedule that is needed for a more formal education. So the Job Training Center is created to provide community members with non-credit options to get industry skills in a condensed format through short-term and rapid training. Well, that's so relevant. Thank you. So that's kind of what it is. Now, who's it for? Well, we're really focused on a specific group in our community. So we understand that Job Training Center participants are probably going to be those that can't afford a traditional college education. And all we do is we require that our participants have a high school diploma or a GED. So we're trying to help community members that can't afford traditional education or can't accommodate the traditional college schedule that college demands. So we get a lot of single parents inquiring about our programs because they need to be at home with their kids during the day. A lot of times we get folks asking about our programs because they need a higher paying job to make ends meet and can't wait to get a two-year associate's degree in order to make that higher income. So as you see many times, people that come to the Job Training Center are struggling in some capacity. So we typically use the slogan, change your life in two months, and that's because our programs are short, they're to the point, and they can get someone out of a bad situation and do a job quickly. That can lead to much needed and desired stability for our audience. In our pilot program, which was the technical support specialist program back in fall of last year, we had a single father in that cohort that brought his two kids and mother to the graduation ceremony. We also had a gentleman that was looking to change career fields because he had an injury and that prevented him from working in manual labor and that's really all he had known. And for our upcoming program, we've even had a couple of retirees reach out to us with interest simply because they want to re-enter the workforce but they don't want to go back to school. 
So I guess all that to say is really that the job training center isn't just for one type of person. We're here to support anybody in the community that is looking to get themselves stable employment, but can't afford to pay for the traditional education or accommodate the schedule for traditional education. I love that partly. I mean, it is, but for this program, these individuals might not have the opportunity to have an instructional experience at Lansing Community College. And that's just a gateway to the credit bearing courses, one year certificate, two year associate degrees. Yeah, I won't get ahead of myself here, but yeah, this is a highly relevant program. Thank you. Lee, how about funding? How does how, how would someone pay for this program? So as I mentioned, uh, we don't expect that our participants are going to be able to pay. If they can, that's great, but that's not our expectation. So we know most of our trainees can't afford the program. So what we do is we try to have a lot of funding sources available for them. So this could be through Capital Area Michigan Works, through Michigan Rehabilitation Services, through a self-pay payment plan, or other grants that we're able to find for them. As a matter of fact, we had that technical support specialist program last fall, and not a single person out of that eight-person cohort paid for the program. So it was free of cost for every single participant. Wonderful. So if someone isn't sure how to apply for any of those funding sources, because that can be kind of a challenging way to fund your education, we encourage them to just reach out to us, and we'll point them in the right direction to get with those agencies. What's nice about the agencies, too, though, is that many times they have a lot of other services that our participants would find helpful while they're taking the training. So just a couple examples that I can think of is that last fall we had a participant qualify for child care assistance. So they were able to have folks watch their kids while they were going through the program. That's just one example, but we also had participants that were in need of transportation, electronics, or other things that were necessary to succeed, and they were able to get some help with those through those funding organizations. I love how diverse the funding streams are for this. So many people in the community uh, have such different situations that they face, and it sounds like you're doing everything you can to try to find a, a funding source for them. What if someone doesn't qualify for for some of these funding opportunities, can they still participate in some of these programs? Yeah, absolutely. We, we'd never turn someone away if they can pay out of pocket. We would just know that that's kind of the exception to the rule, considering we would expect our audience to not be able to pay. But that being said, we are working to set up some self-pay options for folks that can. Oh, Yep, and we're finding uh, that to be the case with some of the participants, especially the retirees that I mentioned earlier. Uh, that's something we, we didn't necessarily expect when we started the Job Training Center is that we would have some retirees reaching out to us that want to enter the workforce. A lot of times they're able right. to pay out of pocket, but they're simply gravitating to the Job Training Center because they don't desire to go back to school and get that full degree. Right, makes perfect sense. Now, you mentioned something about the um, pilot program in the fall. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely. So our pilot program last fall was a technical support specialist program. So this was really designed to ready folks for entry-level work in IT. So this is a growing field right now, especially with the pandemic. More people are working from home. There's an increase in need for IT support. So that program really helped prepare people to get jobs such as a help desk specialist or a PC technician. So these would be the people that you might call to help troubleshoot technology issues or help set up your computer at work. And what's interesting about this field is it requires a very unique skill set, but not necessarily a formal education, especially at that entry level. So we've had a lot of people out there that enjoy technology, they're technologically savvy, and they would enjoy working in the field, but they don't necessarily know how to get started. So the Technical Support Specialist Program really helped familiarize themselves with that field, uh, left them with three industry-recognized credentials in the field, and gave them really what they needed to start a job in a rather high-paying field. And, and 
most entry level positions in IT paid anywhere from twenty to twenty four dollars an hour and have great growth potential. See now that is just fantastically. I mean, folks who start out in a as you said earlier, kind of a, maybe facing some challenges in life, having the opportunity to exit a program in such a short period of time, making that kind of money is absolutely stellar. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, having heard you talk a little bit about that, it sounds like a sounds like a hard program, though. <laughs> yeah, I, I would agree. I, I wouldn't necessarily want to take it myself or be <laughs> successful, but uh, so not to beat around the bush, but it was a challenging program for the participants. Um, but what really was impactful to me to watch this happen is that every single participant completed the program successfully and several already have jobs. Really, when I look back at that, I think really their dedication was what I took most from that. So you were at our graduation celebration, Bo. It was a really memorable experience and even an emotional experience for the participants and those that ran the program. It wasn't a required event in any way, but it was something small we wanted to do for them just to recognize those accomplishments. Mm -hmm. Uh, We didn't have attendance required, so I really didn't know if anybody was going to show up at all and didn't necessarily expect great attendance. Mm -hmm. But every single person in that cohort showed up to that graduation celebration. They brought their family members to support them. It was quite the sight. I mean, the room was packed. We had small kids running around who were there to support (laughs) their parents. We had siblings showing up to support their brothers and sisters. Mm -hmm. And we had parents showing up to support their kids. Mm -hmm. It was just so nice to see the pride and sense of accomplishment that all those participants had and the folks that were there to support them. The fact that they showed up to the ceremony alone really told me how dedicated they Mm -hmm. were to improving their lives. So really, all in all, that first program really exemplified to me what the Job Training Center is all about, that we don't have a one-size-fits-all demographic. Mm -hmm. But if you're looking to improve your income and your livelihood, it could be a good fit for you. Yeah, it was was moving. I I truly, I I did not expect that either. To see the expressions on their faces, they were proud of themselves. They were, Mm -hmm. for a good reason, and they were excited about their future. So that was incredibly rewarding. What other feels, Lee, other than IT, can the job training center offer programs in? Yeah, so we are, again, we're a newer department. So we, we started in IT just because it's a very in-demand field, but we're currently developing some other programs. One is administrative assistant. Uh, we're expecting to pilot that in the summer. And then we're also working on a bookkeeping program to Great. pilot in the fall. Great. What's important, I think, to know about the job training center is that we try to make sure that all of our programs have a significant number of job openings in the area. We certainly don't want to put people through a program that then doesn't have mm-hmm. the jobs for them at the end. So we talk to local employers and nearly all employers in our area require administrative support. Mm-hmm. And many have accounts receivable, accounting or credit departments. So we think both of those programs, administrative assistant and bookkeeping, are going to transfer well to our local companies. Great. One other important thing that I'd like to mention that the Job Training Center provides is English as a second language courses for non-credit. So these courses are roughly eight weeks in length, and they're really designed to prepare our non-native English speakers in the community to enter LCC's academic programs or the workplace if they don't necessarily want to pursue a formal education afterwards. We're currently seeing an influx of refugees in Michigan. And they're naturally finding language to be a barrier uh, to both career and education. So to help those folks that are struggling, we have several ESOL courses that we currently offer. And we're looking to develop more throughout 2023 to assist the growing need in the community. That's fantastic. You know, one of the pain points within, well, across the country is a capacity, you know, workforce. So to upskill individuals with an opportunity to become active participants in the workforce is fantastic. How do these ESOL courses differ from 
what might be offered via free community resources? Yeah, there's a lot of free community resources out there for folks that are trying to improve their English language skills. But I would say what makes ours a bit different is that we really try to we integrate those basics, but we go a lot more in depth. Specifically, we try to offer lessons that prepare our learners to raise their language skills to the level that is needed for success at Lansing Community College in the credit bearing courses. But we also are working this year to offer field or industry specific ESOL courses. So some examples would be healthcare, IT, manufacturing and business. So these additional courses uh, would really help prepare non-native English speakers for jobs in these areas or to enter LCC's academic program. So Mm -hmm. we understand that everybody wants an education. Some people just want to get a paycheck. And so these courses are really designed to allow for both of those avenues to be successful. So these field-specific courses, we're also going to partner them with the Job Training Center Mm -hmm. uh, program. So thinking back to that technical support specialist program that we ran, we anticipate being able to offer that same program for non-native English speakers Mm -hmm. in the coming year. What that'll really do is allow us to support the influx of refugees in Michigan and in our local community, and we're going to be able to help them on their path towards improving their livelihood as well, whether it be through employment or through furthering their education at LCC. You know, you said something that really resonated with me, and that's you work with employers, and we'll get to that in just a moment, but, you know, listening to the voice of the customer or industry, it's like, you know, what do we need how can we help you to answer that? You know, do local employers know about the job training center or how do you work with local employers? So we certainly work with local employers for all of our programs. We're trying to get the word out as much as we can about the job training center right now. But we understand that just as we have people that are struggling to find employment in the community, we have employers struggling to find people Mm -hmm. that are qualified to fill the jobs that they have. So the job training center, uh, I really think of it as something that could be a direct pipeline for our local organization. So we've got a bunch of eager people to looking to enter the workforce, Mm -hmm. and this can create a pool of candidates for employers that they might not have considered before. So we work with local employers for each of our programs, like I said, based on employer needs in the field. So going back to that technical support specialist program, we partnered with TechSmith, Tech Systems, Neogen, about the openings they had in IT. And those companies actually came and spoke with our participants about job openings that they had. And those are all very well-known and well-respected employers in our area. Top shelf. Yep. So those participants were able to get exposure to local employers throughout the program. And these employers were able to get a first look at participants. So these are folks that are going to be highly employable upon completion of the training. Mm -hmm. And it really is a great recruiting tool for our local organizations to get a first look at those potential employees. Interestingly, as well, a lot of the employers that we talked about, or talked about the Job Training Center too, talked about how uh, we really align with their diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives, which is something that a lot of organizations are really putting at the forefront of their plans in the the coming years. So we're happy to work with those organizations and support trainees that the community really falls into that minority demographic that employers are looking for. So really, we're trying to get the word out to local employers about the Job Training Center because Mm -hmm. it truly is a win-win, again, for the potential employee and for the employer. So... I'd encourage any employer that feels that they would like more information about the Job Training Center and might even want to partner with us to go ahead and contact us. Wow, fabulous. Well, that's, that's such a strong strategic approach. So you know, to that end, how does, uh, how does someone with an interest or, or, or even questions uh, get in touch with, with you, Lee? Yeah, so there's a lot of ways that someone could get in contact with us. Uh, first and foremost, I'd encourage people to visit our website, which is lcc.edu slash training. 
And at that website, you're going to find email addresses and phone numbers for both myself and Heather Marshall. She is the Job Training Center Coordinator. And you can also just send us an email at jtc at lcc.edu, or you can call 517-483-9853. And again, I'd encourage any employer looking for more information about partnering to give us a call and anybody that might think they could benefit from exploring how our job training center can help improve their livelihood, just go ahead and reach out and we'd be happy to talk with you. Wow. Thank you so much, Lee, for sharing some really fantastic information about the job training center and essentially how it can really change lives. Just great info. And thank you all for the pleasure and privilege of your time. This has been your host, Bo Garcia. I look forward to sharing time with you again soon. Have a tremendous day. This is LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. Lansing Community College Performing Arts features several events and presentations throughout the year. Find more information by visiting lcc.edu slash showinfo. I really didn't feel safe anymore at home. Every year, tens of thousands of youth experience homelessness. The possibility of sleeping out on a park bench. It's not something that a 15-year-old should have to think about. 1-800-RUNAWAY provides 24-hour access to a nationwide network of housing and support services. I felt such warmth. I felt comfort. I felt safe. Call 1-800-RUNAWAY. Go to 1-800-RUNAWAY.org or text 66008. We can end youth homelessness. Lansing Community College's Fresh Start program forgives outstanding student balances, allowing students to re-enroll without penalty. Fresh Start does not apply to student loan creditors. Learn more at lcc.edu slash fresh start. LCC. Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. Hello, friends, and welcome to Coach Cuts Corner. Streaming bright from Michigan's capital city, this podcast is dedicated to helping you better understand the who, the what, and the why of mental performance, personal growth, and Lansing Stars baseball. Coach Cuts Corner, brought to you by iWash. In collaboration with Lansing Community College. And now here's your host, Stephen Cutter. Welcome back or welcome to Coach Cuts Podcast. I'm Stephen Cutter and today I'm joined in studio by Shane Jude. Shane is a sophomore infielder for the Lansing Stars baseball team and hails from Midland, Michigan. Welcome to the studio, Shane. Thanks for having me, Coach Cut. Let's jump right in. When I mention the word Little League, what do you think of? I think of the days going back and playing ball with all my neighborhood friends and, uh, Spending a lot of time out each and every day, going after school, and just having fun. All fun. You played on some pretty good baseball teams. Yes, very good. Any memories that stand out? Um, I mean, we made it pretty far, and we're always playing against top competition, regional tournament as Little Leaguers. It was really awesome back then. Do you still enjoy watching the Little League World Series today? I love it. I mean, you've been there. You've always ex- you've experienced it yourself, so seeing what they're going through and the emotions behind it, you, you really can feel for them. That's incredible. Maybe someday you'll be a Little League coach. It's possible. Uh, tell me about your parents. My parents, uh, Rich and Kelly, they, uh, they're awesome people. My dad used to play ball, learned everything I know from him uh, on the baseball side of things. He played baseball at Michigan State. He also he went to high school where I went to high school, grew up in the same area. 
And then he ended up getting drafted, play ball with Chicago Cubs and Pittsburgh Pirates. And he coaches high school baseball now, right? He does coach baseball at HH Del High. Nice. And you have some other family ties to Michigan State, do you not? I do. I have a lot, actually. Grandpa played football there, uh, won a national championship with them, starting quarterback, All-American. Uh, uncle really? played baseball there as well. Had another uncle play football there. I mean, it, it, the list goes on at Michigan State. Nice. It's pretty cool like to talk about summer ball a little bit. Summer collegiate baseball is something that college baseball players will travel across the country to play in summer collegiate leagues once the college season is over. It's it's a really good thing. It's 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 got to be kind of the right fit because the college season at least at our level is a 56 game regular season and that doesn't include playoffs. Most summer collegiate leagues are around, you know, 30 to 45 games unless you're playing in the Northwoods League, which is, you know, north of 70. What was your college experience like? Because that's where we really met. We met in Muskegon when I, I was coaching for the Clippers. You came to Muskegon as a player for the Clippers, and and that's a great environment in the Great Lakes Summer Collegiate League. That's an incredible place to play at, the the home crowds, the field, everything else. What, what was that experience like for you? Well, during the time of the experience, I thought that it wasn't the best just because of the performance that I was going through. I was having a tough time uh, finding barrels, getting any hits, getting any knocks, everything. I was just struggling on all sorts of different tools in that summer. But honestly, I look back at that summer and it has shaped me to who I am today. I've grown so much since that moment and coming as far as we have with you, I have nothing but good things to say about Muskegon other than my own performance that put me in a tough spot baseball-wise. But I do have a lot of respect for summer collegiate baseball and especially in Muskegon. Yeah, we'll, t- we'll talk about mental performance today, and we'll probably circle back to your experience with the Clippers. Another thing that gets really brought up, whether it's high school, travel ball, college, baseball, the word is development. It is everywhere. What does development mean to you, and what's it look like? Uh, it means everything to me. I mean, development, I just like to think you always come out of high school and you feel like you're on top of the world. You get all these different accolades if you're one of those top players and uh, you feel like you, you've you learned everything. you got nothing more to develop, but you come in and you just learn how much more you can develop and what you can get the best out of yourself and finding that best side of yourself is is awesome. So there's there's more development than the physical sides of baseball and I've learned that and it's great. What's your greatest memory that you have with the STARS program? Um, Greatest memory, honestly, was just winning that regional championship last year, but not only because we won, but because of how far we came. Uh, We had a team the year before that was just unbelievably talented, didn't should not have lost a single game uh, based on talent and came up short in that regional championship. We have a team last year, only 29 guys and small pitching staff, and we just worked on what was most important and understood what our process was and believed in it all and the fact that we came from a disappointing season that we had the year before to winning that regional championship and was a really great experience. There's an incredible picture of you and the rest of the team after we had won. That's a, that's, that's a picture I'll keep for probably forever. At the time of this recording, we've just returned from our spring trip, and we're 14 games in now. And that spring trip, the team spent, you know, 47 plus hours on a bus, checked in and checked out of a ton of hotels. Get to play at some really nice ballparks. Get to play in some really nice weather. 
What was that experience like for you? Definitely different than anything I'd ever experienced before on the road, but it was a ton of fun. It was hard on the body, obviously, riding the bus so much, playing so many games, but in the end of the day, when you're playing ball, you're out there playing ball, so there's nothing else on your mind, and we're on break, so it's just a lot of baseball, and I can't complain about that. How'd you do on the trip? I felt like I did pretty well overall. Uh, There's a couple, obviously, things that you're working on, early season kinks that you got to work out, but... um, for being the first time out there in a long while to compete against some top programs, I think overall I did well as well as the team. Yeah, I think he, I think he did really well. It was the first time he really had played competitive baseball since June, so I think he did really well. And hopefully, the team and everybody else had a had a lot of fun. Albeit there there was a lot of travel and all that, it still was a really really positive experience. The home openers one week away at the time of this recording. We still have snow on the ground. What are you thinking? Are we going to be able to play? Well, I mean, that's not up to us really when it comes to snow on the ground. and We can't control that. you got to hope for the best at this point. Being in Michigan, you don't know what can come, whether no matter what month it is. I mean, control what we can. You're from a cold-weather state. You've gotten somewhat used to playing in cold weather, you know, high school and everything else. Do you bundle up quite a bit when you're playing or how, how much can you actually wear and still feel comfortable when you're trying to compete? I mean, just I, for myself, I just put on the long sleeve undershirt. I don't want to put on too much because, I mean, that just feels like you're, you're taken away from your physical um, body and movements and all that stuff. So I want to be able to move freely uh, with whatever I'm wearing. But, I mean, it really too do, does depend on if you're playing or not. If I'm, I mean, if you're not on the field, you might as well bundle up as much as you can. But on the field, you don't want to get too constrictive with what you're wearing. What are some of the challenges of being a, living in a cold-weather state and being – you know, an athlete, you experience it at the high school level, you're now experiencing it at the college level, there are challenges. That doesn't mean that there's setbacks, but there are certainly challenges that you need to figure out how to overcome. Can you talk about any of the challenges that you've experienced, whether it's through high school or college, where it's just a little bit more challenging to, to play an outdoor sport? Well, I mean, the number one challenge is, of course, the weather. When it hits those winter months, baseball's an outside sport. Most other sports are an outside sport that I played. So, I mean, in those winter months, you got to do your training inside. And yes, that's way different than outside, but I mean, it's all repetitions, it's all reps. So, hitting inside a facility or getting ground balls inside a facility, those are huge, especially in the winter. I mean, I, I like it as a benefit because you're able to get way more reps inside than you are outside. But it does affect you a little bit being inside rather than outside when you're playing majority of the most important games outside. So, yeah, good stuff. So I want to circle back to mental performance. You talked about your your time in Muskegon, and I want to finish with kind of saying, you know, mental performance is one of those things that, at least in our game, they, they say it's 90% mental and 10% skill, and, and everybody gives different numbers. But it's certainly well known that the mental piece is a huge piece of the game of baseball and a game that experiences an awful lot of failure in it if you're the mentally stronger that you are, the better chances that you have to, to have success, you know. And before I get back into your summer collegiate baseball stuff, I want to talk about this past weekend when we were playing. We At one point, we had a five, five-and-a-half-hour bus ride and then got off the bus and played a doubleheader and played 16 innings 
and between BP and all the other stuff, the IO that we work really hard on and all that stuff, we spent eight and a half hours at the baseball field. So mentally, you have to be really, really strong, mentally strong to, to, to go out and compete and do well. When you were struggling in Muskegon, you probably found yourself really thinking a whole lot, right? What was that like? I mean, I mean, what were you thinking about at those points? I mean, were you thinking I'm terrible? I, I, exactly. Right. Exactly. I mean, everything that went bad that summer on the baseball field made me feel like I was the worst player ever. I just felt after games, they're in the past, they're over, and I was still hung up on in that bat I had, an error I made, whatever it was. It made me feel like the worst player ever. And those next days I'm waking up and we got another game and I'm still thinking about what had already happened, like, are people going to like, like, like me, they're going to think that I'm a bad player. I'm thinking about what other people thought about myself rather than what I actually thought about myself. So. And then what's the flip side of that? When everything is going really amazing, some will call it zone or flow. What are you thinking about then? I'm just, I mean, you're not thinking you're just, you're just going out and you're playing, you're having a good time. Uh, and I mean, you're obviously like, I'm hot right now. I feel good. So there's nothing to think about other than baseball. Right. And so that goes into play. If if the game is, you know, we'll say 90% mental, as as others have said, then, then why is the mental performance not practiced a large amount of the time? And so that's something that we do a lot here. We work on a lot of that stuff. And the closer you can get to flow states, the closer you can get to being relaxed and not thinking about stuff is the closer that you're competing without pressure, without the worry of what other people are thinking. You're just going out and, you know, a statement that we have in our program is we just talk about doing your job, you know, just, just go do your job. Don't, you don't have to necessarily do anybody else's job, but you need to do your job. And the only way you can do your job at your best ability is just by being relaxed and being free of, of worry and stuff like that. We, we talk a lot about high performing teams. We do a lot of different stuff in our program and, and it's, it's always based on high performance. And, you know, analogy that, that I like to use is an average team, what that environment's gonna look like is if you were ever to go watch a youth football game. Now you played football, correct? Yes, I did. And and you were decent, right? Yes, I was alright. Oh, you were okay. Okay, you were QB one, right, for Midland? I yeah. was. Okay, so you go watch a youth football game that's got you know five year olds or whatever, and you've got kids running everywhere. You've got coaches picking kids up and putting them in positions, and then it ultimately it, it's hilarious to watch because typically one of the kids' teammates will end up tackling them, or they'll run the wrong way into the wrong end zone, or you know just all this crazy stuff and that's typically what average teams look like for the most part and I'm not I'm not talking just baseball I'm talking overall in general whether it's in the business environment or any other environment you've got people with all these different ideas and they're kind of going all over the place and then if you look at high performing teams they, they have a lot of similar standards and that success leaves a lot of clues so you can see a lot of different similarities in those high performing teams and instead of youth football with average teams we'll, we'll look at high performing teams and we'll it, have you ever watched a nascar race i have watched a nascar race yes beautiful 
beautiful. If you watch a NASCAR pit crew, you're going to see as that car goes into the pits, you're going to see people running out and they're changing tires and, and taking off lug nuts and, and putting gas on and fixing up the car and, and, you know, getting drinks and all that stuff. And they do it in, I don't know, it's got to be like seven seconds or something like that. It's insane. It's crazy. But that's what high achieving teams look like. They're all pulling on the rope the same way. Mm -hmm. And when that driver, if that driver happens to do really well that day and he, and he or she is up on that podium, the person that was putting the lug nuts on or putting the tires on or putting the gas in isn't up on that podium. But that person that did all that stuff, they were just doing one thing. They were doing their job and they were doing their job really, really well. So what are any other characteristics that come to you? Because you've been on some high performing teams. You were on, you know, obviously you were on last year's team that went to the College World Series, but you were on good high school teams as well. What are some characteristics that come to mind? You know, I, I kind of hit on like pulling on the rope the same way, but what comes to mind for you? What? Um, one of the bigger things that I, I take a lot of pride in is uh, that team chemistry. Um, and team chemistry comes on and off the field. Uh, having trust in your teammates to do their job is one of the bigger things that I, I like to focus on and take pride in. Just having that trust when a ball goes in the air to trust your outfielder to catch it. Um, when uh, the ground balls hit to trust your other infielder to make the play. Uh, a lot of things come from that. And I think team chemistry is one of the bigger traits too on top of everything that you've mentioned before. Yeah, I think the buzzword today is culture. For sure. But it's it's really your culture is kind of a long game. Your environment is is your short game. And, and what, what type of team you have, what type of culture, what type of environment you have is, is paramount to what type of success you're going to have. And you can sit here and you can drop all these big words and, and small words and, and say what's really important, but you really don't know how impactful all that stuff is until you kind of get punched in the nose and you have to respond. And, and, and it's truly, you know, how you respond makes, makes all, the, all the difference in the world. Another question for you, what, what kind of advice would you give to an incoming freshman recruit that's coming into LCC? You've been here for a couple of years. You've experienced a lot of different things. You know, obviously you were here during the whole COVID uh, shutdown. And then you've been on a team that went to the College World Series. You, you've seen hard losses, amazing dog piles. You've, you've seen a lot of different things. You've been on campus for uh, an absolute ton of different things that we've that we do as a team on campus and you've been in the community, what, what kind of advice would you give to an incoming kid that's just coming out of high school? It's going to be a freshman. What kind of advice would you have for him? One thing I'd like to say for sure is uh, just to believe in yourself. Um, you're, you're going into a foreign program. You're going into an unfamiliar area of the baseball side of things. And you're going into a program like here at LCC that's very prestigious at the junior college level. Um, so there are going to be those times where you struggle a day, you, uh, whether it's in the classroom or whether it's on the field. But just believe in yourself that you're going to be able to do it. Um, don't, don't let other people, uh, don't compare yourself to other people when it comes to you coming in uh, that first year. And make sure that you really take pride um, in yourself and whether it's time management, practice, everything, you want to believe in yourself that you're going to be able to do the things that you believe you're able to do. And when you're as confident in yourself as you are as your team, you're going to get the best out of yourself for sure. Um, and so going, getting through those tough times, especially as a freshman, 
and all through that belief system that we have here. And if you have that belief system in yourself, you're going to be very successful on and off the field. And you seem to be able to implement a lot of that with with underclassmen here as well. What's the biggest thing that somebody needs to know because it's different here? It, it, it's hard to completely wrap it all up, but you've You've been here for a little bit. You've seen some really good baseball. A lot of kids coming out of high school really don't have a good feel for what really good junior college baseball looks like, you know, and we just, we just went on our spring trip and we played some of the best teams in the, in the country. And I know that we had freshmen on our team that were a little bit amazed at what that looked like in the certain spots that we were playing in and what the talent looked like on that field. How do you adapt for that? And is it is it a little bit shocking when you look across the field at times and you're like, this is this is junior college baseball. This is crazy. No, it is for sure. I mean, you just got to be ready for that change. It's a big leap from those high school games that you're playing in. So just kind of be be weary of understanding that these are top tier programs that you're going to be playing for and playing against. And you can't, just can't get intimidated by that. You just got to believe in your system, um, believe in the processes that we have here, um, and everything is going to work out. There's been a lot of talk about travel baseball and high school baseball. There are some kids that are no longer playing high school baseball because they want to practice with their travel team. And then, you know, once the weather gets better, at least in cold weather states, they want to start playing games. You know, there's there's been a lot of talk about Little League and how kids aren't playing little league anymore because of you know travel sports and then travel sports really the the good ones will come back and say well we can develop we we can work with them all year around and team settings and in at least in the state of michigan that's not necessarily legal for a high school to, to do that so kind of what what's your take when you when i bring up that you know there's little leagues and some of these programs <laughs> that are losing kids just because of travel ball. Did you play travel baseball? I did play travel ball, but on top of that, I was playing Little League. I was playing Rec League, whatever it was. I mean, my biggest take is, like, I understand why these things are going. I mean, you get out, you play in these huge tournaments, and lots of different teams are there. Uh, You got college coaches everywhere that start looking at you at those young ages. But my number one thing is just make sure you're doing what makes you happy. Make sure you're doing what what is the most fun to you? If you find it most fun to be playing in those crazy big tournaments with all these different coaches looking at you, then you go do that. But if you're more happy playing with the kids you grew up with, playing with all your buddies from school, whatever it is, you just keep doing that. As long as you're playing the game and you're happy, I mean, that, that'll keep you playing for a longer amount of time. Because I know a lot of those kids who go do those big tournaments, they, they burn out of the game and they lose love for the game because everything was just a competition within their own mind rather than just having fun and competing with whoever it be, may be. That's really good because if you're doing something that you're passionate about and something that you love and something that brings you joy, it's never going to be a grind and you're not going to burn out on it. If you're doing things for really some not great reasons and and you're doing them for the, you know, the the accolades and, and the different things that come up, then that's, that's where the burnout comes from. That's where the, you know, the grind that you see on social media or anything else that that's where it is. But if you're doing something that you truly love, you're going to have fun doing it. And it's, it's not going to be work someday. As I said, maybe you'll be a little league coach, but you know, college coaches, high school coaches, all these coaches, they put in extreme amounts of hours. 
And the ones that are doing it for the right reasons never look at it as this is, this is a grind. They, it's just part of doing the job. And it's, it's a lot of fun when you're, when you're in those situations. Just kind of want to wrap it up. I appreciate you coming in. I'm certainly we've got a lot of moments and memories to have yet this year, but I, I really am going to miss you a lot. Uh, you've been a you've been a big impact on our program, and I just I just want to thank you for that. No, I I have nothing but good things to say about you too, Cut. I mean, you have completely this and you you and this coaching staff have completely changed my life, and I have uh, no way to thank you other than saying thank you and. Uh, just giving it my all each and every day. So appreciate it, Jude. Coach Cuts Corner is recorded live in the WLNZ studios. Engineering and production assistance are provided by Dedalian Lowry. Thanks for listening. And if you enjoyed today's podcast, please share it and follow us on all the platforms of social media. You can find more about our program at lccstars.com and donations to our baseball program can be made at the same site. See you next time. Connecting you with Lansing Community College, this is LCC Connect. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. Lansing Community College's downtown and west campuses offer conference and event spaces that can accommodate over 500 attendees. LCC offers hybrid meeting capabilities, in-house catering, free event parking, and on-site customer service. For more information about LCC's conference and event spaces, visit lcc.edu and search conference. What grows in the forest? Trees? Sure. Know what else grows in the forest? Our imagination, our sense of wonder, and our family bonds grow too. Because when we disconnect from this and connect with this, we reconnect with each other and build family memories we will carry with us forever. The forest is closer than you think. Find a forest near you and start exploring at discovertheforest.org. It's easy. Just put in your zip code to find family-friendly outdoor destinations near you. You'll also find guides to free activities, games, and amazing forest facts. Give the magic of the outdoors to your kids and reconnect with your family. Find a forest near you at discovertheforest.org. That's discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council. Michigan residents age 25 or older may qualify for Michigan Reconnect, a program providing free or reduced tuition to students who have not earned a prior college degree. Reconnect students are responsible for books and fees. Visit lcc.edu reconnect for more information. LCC. Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. Welcome to Community Combos, a podcast and radio program from LCC Connect with conversations about what's happening in Lansing and around mid-Michigan.
This is Dedalian, and with me in the studio today is co-founder of a thing called Stoop Fest. He is James Reddick. Did I say your last name right there? Raddick. Yep. Raddick. Okay. I, I actually mistyped it here on the paper. So that, that's okay. Hey, man, thanks so much for coming in to talk a little bit about Stoopfest. First of all, let's get started off by just real quickly telling me when does it happen this year? Absolutely. And before I get started, uh, my pleasure to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, you are welcome. April 21st and 22nd this year for Stoopfest. Okay. So now we got that. We're going to actually revisit that a little bit later on, just so that anybody that didn't catch it, you know, next time around after we get through the concept of what this is. And that's where I want to start with this. What is the concept behind Stoopfest? Yeah, so Stoopfest uh, started in 2016. You know, we noticed we had a lot of house venues throwing kind of non-traditional concerts and shows in their basements or in their backyards. And we said, hey, let's kick off each spring, summer, the, the warm weather season with a sort of celebration of that kind of ethos, that do-it-yourself, you know, you help me, I'll help you. We're a community. We're all in this together. Let's find a way to bring that together, have a very cohesive festival to kind of start the, what I think of as the backyard music concert season. Okay. And I, and I saw the, the whole DIY on the website quite a bit. So that, that is really the concept behind this from ground zero, right? That is the mission statement. We are a not-for-profit festival. We are not making any money off the festival itself, um, but we are contributing a lot of blood, sweat, and tears into it. We're not hiring any, uh, you know, a lot of people to do marketing or anything like that. It's all us, whether we have a background in it or not. We're just kind of Figuring it out as we go. We have people who have a little bit of sound experience running sound, but they say, hey, uh, I care about this. I'm willing to sacrifice my time and volunteer to learn more about it, help this festival out. And that's always been very important to us to keep that sort of do it yourself, like you said, DIY, like we're committed to this community. We're willing to learn. We're willing to put in the effort. We want to show the love and the support and the power that this community has when it comes together. That's cool. And then, and this next one's going to be a loaded question, and I know it, because I'm going to ask you, where does it happen? Absolutely. So uh, for the last, this is the second year where we will be having our sort of, uh, you know, our HQ, our, uh, our headquarters at Hunter Park on the east side of Lansing. That has always been where we've been, the east side of Lansing. Sometimes our headquarters are a bar, you know, where, where most of the shows take place. The last couple of years, especially with COVID and everything, we want to have as much outdoor as possible so that people feel as comfortable as possible. So in 2022, we made the big switch to have our headquarters where we have our main stages at Hunter Park. But we've always been on the east side of Lansing. That's where a lot of us come from. That's where a lot of us have spent, uh, you know, a lot of our formative years in the music community and in the music scene. And it's important for us to keep that in our community. Very good. And I think trying to make every single one of these performances would be difficult because you guys have got quite a bit there. It's not possible. I'll it's tell you not. that right now. We have, uh, I think we, this is the, this year we have the most amount of artists we've ever had. We have just over 80 artists performing at the festival and that is across 10 different venues. So it's just not possible to hit them all <laughs> and you've got to make some tough choices we've already had some people reaching out to us saying no why are you doing this i love both of these artists playing at the same time uh but that's just kind of how it shakes out sometime and and the beautiful thing is hopefully we can have them back a little later down the road you know if you miss an artist you really wanted to see 
they're going to fall in love with Lansing. I'm positive, and I know that they will come back. Very good. And if somebody did want to try to at least catch all the different venue locations, not specifically the backyard ones, is there a way to do that where, you know, they can just get a ticket for everything across the board? Absolutely. All of our ticketing information can be found at stoopfest.com. Uh, but it's really simple. A, a Stoopfest wristband is going to get you all access to every location, every stage, every venue. We're not like, you know, we don't really do a whole lot of picking and choosing. Oh, you know, I want to go here. I want to go here. Let's have an a la carte ticketing price. You know, we have pretty much two options. Do you want to come out for both days or do you want to come out for just one? Regardless of what you choose, uh, you know, if you want the single day pass, that's going to get you access to every venue on that day that you choose. We hope that you do uh, the Friday and the Saturday so you really get the full taste of what Stoopfest has to offer. But that Stoopfest wristband, that is an all-access wristband that is getting you everywhere, getting you a chance to see everybody that you want to see. What is this, six, year six? Is this what, what it is? Uh, this is year six, yep. Yeah, six years of doing this. You kind of brushed on it a little bit in the beginning there, but tell me exactly how this got started. Like, where you... I mean, I, by now you've got to be kind of going, I really wish I'd had brain surgery back then because this is a tough project to put together. <laughs> it is, and it gets tougher every year. Uh, you, you, the first year was uh, in 2016. That was our first year. I know we had a, took a couple years off due to COVID. Uh, but as you said, this is year number six. That first year, it was, I think, five house venues. Mm -hmm. We didn't have a bar or anything like that. It was all non-traditional spaces. And Very was, much a neighborhood type thing. It was just a neighborhood, like, it was kind of like, I feel like it happened almost a little more organically than we even could have anticipated. Like mm -hmm. a couple of us said, hey, you know, Earth Day, weather's going to be nice. It's also record store day. We're going to have a show to kind of celebrate that. Another house in the neighborhood had that same idea. And then it started kind of snowballing from there where it said, hey, you know, if we're both thinking, hey, it's Earth Day, it's Record Store Day, we want to have some sort of a music celebration to highlight that, talk about, you know, highlight the weather getting warmer and really showcase our community. I think we might have something here where we can mm -hmm. we can take this and, and really run with it. Very cool. So what are some of the venues that are incorporated in this this year? Yep. So we've got uh, Hunter Park. We have uh, two stages set up at Hunter Park this year. We're really, really excited about that. That's going to be both Friday and Saturday. We will also be operating at the Avenue on Michigan Ave, of course, on uh, Friday and Saturday as well. And then we have a lot of programming at The Junction, which is uh, a, a rebranded, uh, kind of new to the east side, but in, a, in an old familiar space, the former Green Dot Stables building. We'll have a lot going on on Saturday there. And then uh, aside from that, everything is, oh, well, we also have uh, some programming at the Allen Neighborhood Center and the East Side Lansing Food Co-op. I almost slipped there because it used to be the East Lansing Food Co-op. It is now mm -hmm. the East Side yeah. Lansing Food Co-op. So we'll have some programming going on there as well. And then we have uh, four different house venues, all of which are pretty walkable from uh, Hunter Park itself, which is, like I said, our kind of our main destination this year. If you want to check out all the list of bands you can go to stoopfest.com or .org, either one, I think, yep, right? Yeah, they both go to the same place. And there is no way I want you to rattle off every single artist. It, it was amazing to me. When I was looking at this list, I was like, I know a lot of these artists, but 
a lot of them I am not familiar with. So yeah. tell me some of the highlights. Who, who are ones that you're looking forward to seeing? Absolutely. I'm very much looking forward to seeing Joshua Smith, who is a very respected and very talented Lansing artist. He is doing a 10th anniversary celebration of his album, The Final Season. He'll be performing that in full at Hunter Park. I'm very much looking forward to that. That is number one for me. Aside from that, I have some dear friends from Ohio coming up called Runaway Brother, one of my favorite, favorite uh, kind of contemporary bands. Very good. I hope a lot of people check them out. They don't get the love that they deserve. Uh, they should be a massively well-known band at this point, in my opinion, and that's what makes Duke Fest so cool is because we have these bands that you get to see in a sort of non-traditional setting mm -hmm. who are very good, very talented. I'm also very much looking forward to uh, the Grey Matter set this year. They are always a Stoopfest highlight alongside uh, Rodeo Boys, some more Lansing legends, if you ask me. She, her, hers, Rent Strike, Get Tough. These are all acts that I'm really, really looking forward to. Very cool. And I know one question that a lot of people are going to have is, because some of this is outdoors, what happens if it rains? That is uh, what we discussed in our meeting last night, okay? So we have uh, a lot of the outdoor stages will be transitioning to somewhere that is covered. Um, Hunter Park does have a couple covered areas already that we've got a plan for. Uh, a lot of our house venues will be shifting slightly to be more garage shows than backyard shows, potentially basement shows if needed. Uh, and then we also do have some bars in the area like the Junction and the Avenue to lean on as well. So we've got a contingency plan for rain. We always have fingers crossed mm -hmm. for for nice weather, but we are a rain or shine event. It will not be canceled regardless of what the weather is. Uh, we're a go, but we do have our backup plans. Hopefully we don't have to get there, but a plan is always in place. Now, as we're recording this, of course, uh, here in the area, the weather has taken a little bit of a turn for the better. Uh, yeah. So hopefully that will last with us for the next couple of weeks. We, here. we were doing our press for this last year and it was snowing a week before Stoop Fest. And we thought, uh, I don't know how we're going to convince people to come out to this <laughs> festival that's next week when it is 40 degrees outside. But thankfully, we got really fortunate and it was like 80 degrees and sunny on the Saturday. So Very we cool. got really lucky. Very cool. So I know one of the concerns, of course, has got to be, I mean, you're doing house parties in a way. What's the concerns with capacity? We are always thinking safety first. Okay. okay? Um, the unfortunate reality of a festival such as this where you have so many different venues. Mm -hmm is that, you know, I can't have every Stoopfest attendee coming to one venue hoping to see one band. So really it is a, a, you know, all of these venues with the exception of Hunter Park, which is, you know, the big outdoor space, everything else has a limited capacity, which we already have kind of in the back of our heads going in. Mm -hmm. We are very diligent about people's safety and making sure that we are not putting people in harm's way in any, any sort of capacity. So unfortunately, you know, we will have to say, hey, you know, if you come to a venue and it is at capacity, we're going to be honest with you. We're going to say, hey, we are at capacity right now. If you want to hang out and wait and see if folks leave, you are more than welcome to come in. But we are not willing in any way to sacrifice people's safety just so they can see a band they want to see. Very good. I wanted to know, like, if uh, people have gators, little, little ones, mm -hmm. if they wanted to bring those along, we're talking about some what are considered bar venues. Are, are they allowed? Yeah. The Avenue is a 21 and up venue. Let me say that. Right at the top, uh, but the junction is all ages up until 9 o'clock, so if you want to come to the junction and see a band, you are more than welcome to. It is also a fantastic restaurant inside there as well. Mm -hmm. um, we offer free tickets to anyone 12 years of age or younger. 
So if you have little ones that you would like to bring along, I encourage you to do so. Get them seeing some really cool artists performing and hopefully that inspires them to pick up, you know, an instrument or start singing or, or, or what have you. Um, yeah, I noticed one of the bands that uh, is playing is uh, School of Rock, right? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, we have the East Lansing School of Rock uh, performing on the Hunter Park main stage. So they're always year. fun to watch. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, we always, always, always a big thing um, about kind of our ethos and our vision is you know, having a really diverse lineup so the people in the community, they can see themselves on stage, mm-hmm. right? And they can say, hey, this is something that I could do. I could pick up the bass or pick up the guitar or, or, or play the drums or sing. This is within the realm of possibility for me. We really want as many children to come out as possible and see the festival with their parents and guardians and really be inspired by what they see that day. I know it's a little bit late for bands to get in this year. When do you guys usually start looking for bands come next year? We will start probably, we like to give ourselves a month or two to kind of decompress and talk about what went well, what did not go well. And then we get right back into the planning for the next year's festival about July, August. Mm-hmm. And we are uh, we try to be as transparent as possible in terms of when we are looking for artists to apply uh, and how they can do so successfully. OK. And as far as volunteers go, everybody that's a part of this is a volunteer. Are you still looking for volunteers at this point? This is a labor of love and it very much takes a village to put on this festival. Mm-hmm. Yes, we are definitely still looking for some help in doing that. I mean, even if it was like the day before, would you suggest to somebody, hey, hey, if you are willing to help out? If you are willing to put in a few hours, we asked volunteers to work a four hour shift. Uh, if you are willing to do that, that is going to give you the rest of the festival for free, all access pass. Uh, we will take you up until the Thursday before. Um, so we have all sorts of information on how to apply uh, on our, our on our website, which is stoopfest.com. Uh, you can also find it at our Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash stoopfestlansing. And this isn't normally a question I would ask, but I noticed it on your website, so I wanted to make sure I got it out there because I thought this was really cool. What happens to the money when it's done? The money does not go to us. Mm-hmm. The uh, the founders and the uh, promoters of Stoopfest. It gets split up amongst our uh, local performing artists from Lansing. Obviously, we have expenses to clear. We have guarantees for our artists coming in from out of town. But everything after that, once we clear our expenses, we basically we, we put it in a pot and we just distribute it evenly amongst all of the artists that played from the hometown area. So okay. that everyone is, we think it's very, very important to pay people adequately for their time and talents for coming out to perform at the festival. And I'm very proud of the fact that we have year after year been able to, a lot of these artists say, hey, this is the most money I've ever made at a DIY show. Thank you so much for doing this. I am very proud of that. That means a lot to me, and I hope it means a lot to the artists. DIY as well. show, you're just lucky to be making any money, really. I mean, you're, honestly. Yeah, you're hoping for 20 bucks to, yeah. you know, to get some McDonald's <laughs> yeah, afterwards. Yeah, grab, grab, grab a burger or something. Yeah. Again, James Raddick, co-founder of the Stoop Fest. When is it happening again this year? April 21st and 22nd. It is on Lansing's east side, our hometown community. Uh, and we've got all sorts of information for you at stoopfest.com. And if you're listening to this on the radio, I will have this available in the notes of the podcast version of the show. James Raddick, co-founder of Stoopfest. Thanks so much for coming in and talking to me a little bit about this. Pleasure has been all mine. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Community Combos, a program from LCC Connect with conversations about what's happening in our community. To listen to this episode on demand, visit us at lccconnect.org. 
or find us on your favorite podcast platform. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on Community Combos, email us, lcc-connect at lcc.edu. And thanks for joining the combo. This has been a presentation of LCC Connect, a weekly program that features the voices, vibes, and vision of Lansing Community College. All shows featured on LCC Connect are recorded at the WLNZ Studio, located on LCC's downtown campus. Each program is podcast-based and can be heard anytime at lccconnect.org. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on one of our shows, connect with us by emailing lcc-connect at lcc.edu.